Mike Repper in three, two, one. Welcome to this edition of the Pottercast. Michael Potter here with you, and I'm excited about this edition. This is a lot of fun. Uh, my wife, Lori Potter, joining me on the Hello. podcast. Hi. So you'll hear Lori uh, Pepper in there every now and again. And then we're doing this in Whitestone, Virginia, looking out at uh, toward Chesapeake Bay in the northern neck, which we had no idea that was what it was called, but it's gorgeous here. And we're here because our guest, Michael Repper, Mike Repper, uh, met my daughter when she auditioned and he accepted her to the New York Youth Symphony. They spent four years together when Emma was in New York. And then Mike uh, graciously invited her to come down and be a solo artist here with the Northern uh, Neck Symphony. So Mike Repper, welcome to the Pottercast. Uh, Thanks for being a part of it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to speak with both of you today. Well, one of the coolest things about our kids getting into the arts is we meet so many cool people <laughs> and we get so many cool like we would Absolutely. never be I here possibly be one of them yeah uh, well we'll see a, we'll see I, at the I, end of this right <laughs> no but i mean we would never be here sitting here at the warner's place looking over this talk and you if it wasn't for the arts and i mean overall bringing people together and meeting people and building community is one thing that is important i know you think that's important that's right yeah well i mean i i as an orchestral conductor i think that the the main role of the conductor is to try to bring people together fundamentally. You know, there are concerts and there are other sort of vehicles of, of doing that. But, you know, if you really get down to the nuts and bolts of what the job actually is, or if I had to describe what the main job responsibility is of a conductor, fundamentally it's to bring people together. So it's exciting, you know, to have people down uh, uh, here with this orchestra, the Northern Neck Orchestra, and certainly to be working with Emma now on a professional basis because with Emma, um, uh, you know, we, we had been working for many years as sort of a, a teacher-student sort of relationship because she was in the, the New York Youth Symphony as our principal horn. Um, but uh, she's in her professional career now, and and, uh, and rightfully so. So it's great to be working with her in that, in that regard. All right. This is one thing. I learned a lot getting into the classical arts, especially classical music. Music director of Ashland Symphony Orchestra, Mid-Atlantic Symphony Orchestra, New York Youth Symphony, Northern Neck Orchestra of Virginia. How many jobs do you have, dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, at, at the moment, I'm actually the either the music director or the artistic director of five different ensembles. There's the four that you mentioned. Uh, there's the New York Youth Symphony, which is uh, one of the nation's you know top youth orchestras, one of the best youth orchestras in the world. Um, I'm very fortunate to be there. Um, I've also been here at the Northern Neck Orchestra of Virginia since 2014. Um, and this is an orchestra that started 30 years ago um, as a uh, as really a community orchestra. And they approached me because they were interested in developing the group um, and trying to bring it from a community orchestra into a more professional uh, setting, um, which we have done. Um, and uh, the hard work that we've done, mostly by being able to get into the community and making the organization a, a, a true you know, uh, a part of the community, has shown a lot of success. Our budget has gone through the roof. We have a gigantic endowment now that we're able to call on, and most of the orchestra are actually professional musicians now. Um, so we'll keep doing that hard work here in Northern Neck Orchestra. Um, I'm also the music director in two fully professional orchestras at the Ashland Symphony in Ohio and the Mid-Atlantic Symphony in Maryland. 
Um, and I'm also the artistic director and chief conductor of uh, an orchestra in Peru, in Lima, Peru, called Sinfonia por el Peru, Symphony for Peru, um, which is a social impact music organization. Um, and I oversee their central orchestras and chorus programs. Um, and it's a very exciting group. <laughs> and you're all over the, I mean, you're yes. all over the globe. Delta too. Airlines. Yeah. Go, go uh, ahead, Lori. Yeah. I, I hear all of these orchestras and I always wonder like, how did you get connected with each one? Sure. And I mean, uh, Peru sticks out. For sure. Like, how, how did you get, how did they find you from Peru? Sure. Peru. Them? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, I was, um, I was approached by a foundation called the Hilti uh, Corporation, the Hilti Foundation, which is part of the Hilti Corporation. The Hilti Corporation is a multi-billion dollar, huge um, tool and cement company. Uh, if you go into Lowe's or Home Depot <laughs> or whatnot, you very likely see uh, uh, a Hilti products. So you could buy Hilti drills, Hilti saws, etc. Um, and uh, their charitable wing of their corporation uh, gives a lot of money to many, 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 many causes. One of them happens to be um, what's known as music for social change, music for, for social impact change. And one of the programs that they support is Symphony for Peru. Um, and uh, they were looking for a new music director. And one of the uh, vice presidents of the, of the foundation called um, my main mentor, Marin Alsop, whom I'm very lucky to have worked with since I was very, very young, since I was about 13, um, and asked, you know, who would you recommend for this position? We're looking for somebody who has these sorts of, you know, this mission and, you know, wanting to give back and doing all these various things. And so Marin suggested me. Um, and so I got a call and we talked and then I was on a plane to Peru. So and the rest is history. Yeah. All right. Take, take me back childhood where'd you grow up what kind of kid were you when did you know hey i think i want to be a conductor sure yeah well i grew up in southern california and um i started studying piano very young at the age of four because i used to go to these concerts um for kids that they used to have on sunday mornings at the at the pacific symphony those were very 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 memorable for me and very transformative um and uh uh my grandmother noticed that I um, would be focused when the orchestra was playing, that you know all the kids were running around, and whatever, but when the music started, that I was you know drawn in. So she suggested to my mom that I start studying piano. Uh, so I did, and I used to go to a uh, summer camp in uh, Colorado uh, for Suzuki piano students, and I studied with a teacher there named Nahama Patkin, and okay. uh, she was from Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> and uh, we studied together for, I studied with her for a couple of years. And then she invited me actually to come to Melbourne, Australia with her and live with her for about a month. Oh, wow. Um, and just study piano with her. How old were you? Eight. This- and Eight. I turned nine when I was there, I'm pretty sure. And she invited so, you to move to right. Melbourne, Australia. And my parents being <laughs> awesome, they said, sure, yeah, go. Like, Are you no- serious? Oh, yeah. So my mom. No went- hesitation. No hesitation. Well, you could ask them. I don't remember there being hesitation. Okay. My mom. They uh, were like. Cha-ching. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom came down for a week, and my dad came down for a week, and my grandmother came for a couple of weeks. And so, you know, so I was you always did it. with them. You... Oh, I went. Oh, yeah. And I stayed with her, Holy lived with cow. her. I took a piano lesson with her every day, maybe two a day. So I remember I have a ton of friends from, from there. And she was very, very well known in Australia and worldwide for youth music education. Her expertise mm. was teaching kids between the age of, let's say, six and 15. And, and when they got to be older, Teenagers, she would say, it's time to move on to somebody else. This was her, this is what she did, and she did it very, very well, and she was very known for it. And she had, she used to do these concerts in Melbourne for kids, not 
dissimilar to the ones I went to at the Pacific Symphony, where they were designed around, you know, trying to interest kids in music. She would have a little chamber orchestra and, you know, um, you know, do, you know, various other, you know, sorts of things with, with, with the kids and um, have a little script and it would be, you know, fun time for, for the kids. And um, one of the concerts that she did when I was there was all about Haydn, the, con- the, the composer Haydn. And she had hired an actor to come oh in goodness. dressed as Haydn oh, wow. to, uh, to uh, 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 you know, do the thing. And it turns out that the actor didn't show up. So two minutes before the show starts, she comes to me and she says, hey, Mike, how would you like to play the part of Haydn? She had this <laughs> ridiculous costume meant for an adult man, you know, with a robe that went down to the floor. And, and you're eight or nine. Room. Yeah. And she gave me a 1990s style car antenna to conduct with the kind they used to, okay. can, you know, metal ones. We remember those. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and of course this was the nineties after all. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, 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 one of Haydn's responsibilities was to conduct this little orchestra that she had. And so I did it and there was something so spectacular. I had no idea what I was doing, of course, but there was something so fun in that moment that when I came back to the United States, I knew I have to figure out what this is. Let me just explore what this conducting wow. thing is, you know? And it turned out that my violin teacher, when I came back to the United States, was also a conductor. And so I had asked him, could we just spend a couple minutes at the end of each of our violin lessons on conducting? I'm curious. And what was 55 minutes of violin, five minutes of conducting, eventually became 45 minutes and 15, and then 30, 30, and eventually we were just studying conducting. Um, And I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a conductor. How old? Oh, I would say probably about 10 or 11 when I decided, you know, that that this was something that I really just absolutely wanted to do. And so um, then... I mentioned that I worked with Marin. Uh, if I have five, you know, maybe another two minutes to tell the rest of the story. You have all the time in the world. Uh, well, there we go. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I went. To, I started going to an arts high school, uh, and it was actually kind of a middle and high school. So I started in eighth grade. So I started going there when I was uh, thirteen, give or take, I think. And um, we were approached because it was an arts high school. We were approached by a producer who was trying to make a television show that she called "Finding the Groove," and uh, the idea behind this show was that she would get uh, five or six kids around our age, 13, 14, pair them up with a composer, a professional composer, give them two weeks together to write a piece of music, perform it, and then they would be filming that entire thing and truncate it into one episode. That was the idea behind the show. Wow. And it was called Finding the Groove. And it was a great idea for a show. And we were the guinea pigs, so they wanted to make us the pilot. So they came into Orange County. We did the thing for two weeks. It was great. It was awesome. And at the end of the two weeks of filming, um, the producer came to me and she said, my best friend, whole world, Marin Alsop, is conducting <laughs> at the Hollywood Bowl in two weeks, Bernstein's Mass at the Hollywood Bowl in two weeks. <laughs> and I've told her about you. She wants to meet you and you should go meet her. And oh my so, goodness. of course, we did. So my mom and I we went up to the Hollywood Bowl. We saw the rehearsal. Marin, being one of the most generous people ever, invited me backstage, talked with me, and um, then I started studying with her, and here I am. Did you um, know at the time when the producer's like, hey, my best friend Marin Alsop wants, you know, you should go and meet her, and all this. Did you know what that meant? At the um, time, did you know who she wow, was? Yeah, and... of course, I knew who Marin was, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't put myself in my mindset at that time. I knew that I was very honored to meet Marin, of course. Anybody would be. Because um, uh, Marin represents so much of what is good in the in the musical, you know, field. Um, and Marin is so giving to young people because people were giving to her as a young person, you know. Um, she knew that she wanted to be a conductor when she saw Leonard Bernstein conduct. Mm. And from a very young age, you know. And the story she tells is that 
she saw this, you know, conductor up there, Leonard Bernstein, jumping around, having a good time, and nobody was telling him what to do. And she said, <laughs> I want to do that. You know what I mean? So so uh, she knew that she wanted to be a conductor uh, from a very young age. So did I. And so I think that, um, you know, uh, she paid forward to me uh, a lot of the same energy um, that Leonard Bernstein paid to her. And now it's my mission to try to look out for young people who are interested in pursuing music, not just conducting, but all forms of music and trying to support them. And a lot of that is why when Marin is asked, who do you want to recommend for a program in Peru that is specifically designed for that, that of course she says, you should call Mike. She thinks of you. Um, yeah, of course. And so it's very much, uh, uh, it's very much channeling, you know, what she learned when she was young into teaching me when I was young now to me teaching other people when they're young. Um, and it's not to say that I only work with young people because I'm working with, you know, adults and professional yeah. orchestras all the time. But I think being youthful always and being energetic is what the what the music what music needs, what classical music in particular needs to get people interested. Um, and so actually when I'm working with kids or I'm working with adults, it's really the same for me. Just music. So so going back, were your parents always like this? I mean, because at eight at eight, eight years old. I met this lady. She wants me to move and live with her. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> was, was that? A, were you surprised they were like that? Had they, oh, have they always kind of been like that? You know, same. I can't. I can't. I don't remember enough of my mindset at eight. I my parents were always extremely supportive and remain extremely supportive. Neither of them are musicians. My mom's an emergency physician. Um, and my dad worked in the auto industry for many, many years. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. He's retired now. Um, and your gram, your grandmother. My grandmother was a pianist. Okay. My grandmother was a pianist. Um, and, and my grandmother on my other side was also a violinist. So there was some music in the family. Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't, they weren't professional in the sense that they weren't making a career out of their, their music. They were just, they happened to have music in their lives. Um, and then you mentioned violin and piano. Yes. Was I was a pretty bad violin player. <laughs> uh, my problem was that in, on the piano, you, you never have to worry about intonation. You get the piano tuned, and then after that, it's really not your problem because it's a push-button <laughs> instrument. Um, very difficult push-button instrument, but it's you push the button, it makes the sound. And the, the inter there's many ways to make the sound on the piano that are some good, some bad, but you never have to worry about intonation because it's not right. your fault. The piano is out of tune. Um, uh, on the violin, it is very much your responsibility whether to play in tune. And, and it took me a long time to um, wrap my head around that sort of concept um and so um i never became you know quite as good a violin player as i am a pianist or because i play the piano still and tour on tour and play piano in concerts um and various other things um but uh violin was also very difficult but i also learned at a very basic level uh the clarinet and also the trombone um <laughs> oh uh, because i wanted to have a basic understanding of playing a woodwind instrument playing a brass instrument because as a conductor, I find it helps. You can relate, even just in a basic way, to what a musician in the orchestra is doing. And, of course, a good conductor will have the respect to know that they're not better than the musicians in the orchestra. I'm nowhere near the trombone player's capabilities as the trombone player that I'm working with. But I have played a trombone, so I can understand the breathing. I can understand what might be going through them. I can understand the difficulties. I can understand the maximum tempo I can take things because I know the max rate at which the trombonist can move their slide, you know what I mean, and various other things. So I find it helpful for conductors to study different instruments, even just on a very basic level. You're a conductor from the start. 
I was conductor from, from, from the yeah. very beginning in your heart. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was always, you know, obsessed with the rules, you know, and <laughs> really, and, and yeah, when I went to summer camp, you know, I was like the ten-year-old counselor, and it took me a long time to to learn how to not narc <laughs> on people. Or, You're like, you know, oh, there's Mike asking yeah. a question again, <laughs> or you know, telling people, oh, you know, there's no counselor in the room, but I was the one that was always like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, and blah blah blah. Ten, <laughs> that's awesome. And, yeah, and so um, people would tell you, um, and maybe I'll tell you myself now that I was probably very annoying, you know, um, and hopefully I've relented just a little bit, but I was always very much, um, I think, um, interested in leading. Um, and fundamentally, that's what conducting is, right? Because the conductor doesn't make any of the sound. All of the sound that the or audience hears is made by the orchestra, right? So a good conductor, in my opinion, will recognize that they're really their job. Again, going back to connecting people, um, the job of the conductor in the moment of the performance is to connect the musicians with each other and with the music such that they can play the music at their highest potential. It's not the conductor making the sound. It's the musicians making the sound. So how do you get the musicians to bring out, you know, their top, their top possibility? Um, and so fundamentally, you know, it's, it's again, it's about connecting people. I would, I would um, wager to bet not all conductors have that mindset. Um, <laughs> how did you develop words, that? Yeah. Was it, was it, was it? I've met a few of them. Yeah. Was it, was it in your? Was it just in you, or did you develop that, Marin? How, how did you develop yeah. that? Uh, well, um. Uh, I was very lucky to have extremely good teachers, Marin being one of them. I also studied with another one of Marin's teachers. Uh, his name was Gustav Meyer. And mm -hmm. um, uh, Gustav was known really as um, one of the great, 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 great conducting pedagogues um, and one of the all-time great conductors who never really had a gigantic orchestra. I think that the, the, the highest level orchestra that he was a music director at was the Greater Bridgeport Symphony. Greater Bridgeport Symphony, I want to say. It's not to say that he didn't conduct other orchestras. But you think of great conductors, and immediately your mind goes to Berlin Philharmonic, L.A. Phil, you know, all these right. various things. And Gustav never got there, but he's recognized as one of the greatest conductors ever. Yeah. And, uh, and one of these things. Um, I was very lucky to study with him. I was very lucky to study with Marin because they teach this school of conducting. It is not a school of conducting that teaches that the conductor is um, first and foremost a showman. Uh, it is not a school of conducting that tolerates egotism. Um, it's not a school of conducting that um, that that tolerates lack of preparedness or um, uh, lack of respect for the music. Um, and really, it's a school of conducting that makes it all about the music. And I find that when I approach rehearsal or I approach um, – uh, sorry, I kicked you under the table there. Um, uh, when I approach uh, my rehearsals from just a standpoint of the music only, then people rise to that occasion. And conductors get in trouble, I think, when they make it all about themselves. Um, sure. And there are many we know that do that, um, and it's unfortunate when that happens. Now, you just casually mentioned you studied with these. I mean, what does that look like? Uh, sure. study, like when you said you started with Marin at 13, 14, and then Gustav, like how does that look for you? What does that mean? And at 13 or 14, again, I mean, did you did your parents know what was happening? And then how? And then what does that look like training as a conductor? Yeah, well, you'd have to ask that my parents. Always, I wish you know. All I know from my parents is that they're always extremely supportive, 
and they basically never said no. Uh, anytime that okay. I, and I have a sister too, and she was an athlete, uh, and now she's going to be in medicine. And, and anytime that any of us wanted to do anything, the answer was never no. It was just let's figure out how to make this happen. Um, and I don't ever remember, you know, uh, of course, you know, we weren't spoiled. It's not that the answer was always, yes, you can have that talk, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But if we wanted to do something and we were willing to put in the time to practice or to work or to do, and we were right. clearly interested in it, my parents would figure out how to get us to baseball. I play baseball too, you know, and, you know, soccer and oh, wow. blah, 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 piano, conducting. Uh, Danny studied the flute and for a time the guitar. And, you know, <laughs> she was a diver, you know, and, and we did a million things. So uh -huh. my parents were always, you know, extremely supportive and just figured it out. You know, I, I don't, actually don't know how they did it. Because like I said, my mom was, you know, uh, an emergency physician, still is, still practicing. And she never, you know, she never stopped that. You know, I have no idea how they did it, frankly. You'd have to ask them. <laughs> um, it was a Herculean feat. Um, uh, and I went to school also 30 miles away from home because I went to an arts high school. Oh, so it wasn't goodness. like I went to the local ho high school yeah. where I could take the bus or whatnot. I mean, I had to get there, you know, before I could drive. Um, I think it was actually my parents' favorite day ever was the day <laughs> that I could finally drive. Actually, my parents were angry. And and I, I didn't understand why they were angry at the time, but I get it now that uh, in California you can get your learner's permit when you're 15 and a half and your driver's license when you're 16. I think that I procrastinated on signing up for my actual driver's license exam until like a week after my 16th birthday. Or if I didn't procrastinate, I just I, I didn't pay attention. And then I realized that the earliest appointments weren't until like a week after. But I think my parents had that date circled on their calendar for like 10 years. And so they were very actually frustrated when they had this extra week of me not being able to drive myself. Oh, that's funny. Uh, which was, yeah. Anyway, uh, um, uh, uh, studying, conducting. Um, uh, you know, it started with Marin. It started very much as a mentor relationship, which it is still now. Um, I wouldn't see her all that often because she's a major international conductor and I was in high school. <laughs> so whenever she came to L.A. to conduct L.A. Phil or whatever right. have you, or I might go somewhere to see her, um, uh, short of that, it was emails, sending her videos. You know, she immediately responds. Even today, you know, we're extremely That's close. Incredible. And she'll respond immediately. Um, uh, very, very kind. With Gustav, my training was more formal. I, on Marin's recommendation actually moved to Baltimore um, because uh, Gustav was the um, lead faculty at the Peabody Institute uh, of Music, the conducting faculty. And she said, well, you have to study with Gustav. Okay. And so my studying with Gustav was much more formal. It was part of school. So we had um, actual sessions with orchestra, with lab orchestra, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it was um, a very formal type of study. Um, and because Marin studied with Gustav, um, my conducting training was very consistent, that it comes from the same style. You watch Marin and you watch Gustav, and there are differences, to be sure, but the basic mindset is the same. I mean, the, the basic idea of what conducting even is is the same. Is that typical in training, to be able to train with the same lineage and to have that same style and the same ideas? Uh, good question. Um, you know, there's so much luck that goes into who you get to be connected with. And I mean, I was talking about lucky to get to be connected with Marin. I mean, the stars aligned in a, in an insane way, you know? yeah. um, uh, which explains a lot of my life. Actually, the stars aligning in a, in a really just crazy way. Um, uh, people prefer to even study with people who have different mindsets and sort of film forming their own. And I, I think that also I've, you know, I've managed to take what I've learned from Marin and learned from Gustav and form my own style. Um, I think that the conducting style, the baton technique and what you do ends up becoming your own because everybody's bodies are different, right? 
Marin right. is, I don't know how tall, but can't be much more than five, maybe seven, five, eight. I'm six one. And, you know, I'm tall, lanky, have huge arms and blah, blah, blah. Naturally, what I do with my body is going to look different from what she does because we're different body types, right? So the actual, you know, uh, baton technique and all these things end up sort of looking different. But I think what's most important is, again, getting to the core of what conducting is, which is connecting people. Um, and then after that, your style sort of develops from there. Um, well, you have this great, you have this amazing energy, positivity. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you're able to direct, I mean, like, pick out things that you want to fix or help or whatever, but you just have this incredible positive energy every time you're doing it. And to watch you conduct, it's also fun to watch oh, you and thank you. <laughs> and everything. Have you had, have you run into any students yet that are kind of coming to you and they're seeing this very positive, but very, you know, I mean, very well-trained way. I, have you had any students come to you asking to be in conducting and to interested, work, interested yes, to in work conducting. with you sure. in the same way? Sure. Uh, really good question. Well, I'm, I'm one of the things I'm most proud at, at the New York Youth Symphony, actually, of course we have this orchestra that's amazing, but many people don't know that we also have a conducting program and I have conducting students that are part of the New York Youth Symphony. And um, it's one of the great things about New York Youth Symphony because when I was young, uh, the opportunities for conducting were few, very few and far between. Um, and usually the answer was no. I was very lucky that I had some people in my life who said yes. My middle school orchestra con uh, conductor, when I approached her and said, hey, you know, I'd love to conduct. And she let me conduct on the concerts with the middle oh, school wow. orchestra and blah, blah, blah. That you was, approached her. Like, I approached her, like but, but, but she could have said no. Yeah. She could have said no. And honestly, nobody would have blamed her. She had a job to do. Right. But she said yes. Uh, I was with a youth orchestra um, in L.A. I approached the conductor, um, and he could have said no, but he said yes, and he let me do it. <laughs> so I had—I was very lucky to, to meet people who, who sort of said yes. And so when people come to me and they want to study conducting and they're young, I say yes because I've never quite understood why people – it's changing now. It's changing now, and that's good. Uh, even just 15 years ago um, – it was strange to have an 18 or 19 year old who like was studying conducting formally. People would have mm -hmm. been like, you need to go to undergraduate for an instrument first and then right. maybe we'll talk. But right. why? Because so much of the skill set of conducting actually so much isn't the arm movements. That is something that needs to be learned. But honestly, that's easy to learn relative to the leadership technique that you need to learn, which is something that takes time and i think a lot of the reason why um i i have and again not to sound self-aggrandizing but i think one of the reasons that i've got, <clears throat> got excuse me gotten good at leading the orchestra is because even though i'm only 32 i've been doing it for 20 years and right. and wow. so and so can yeah. and so there's just you do so many rehearsals you start to learn yeah. what works well and what doesn't work well um i've certainly made mistakes and you, you you look at my 17 year old self or my 18 year old self i may not have been as good at it now at then <laughs> as it was now but that's the same as anything else um but um a lot of it is because you know opportunities were generated for me when i asked and people didn't say no i was very very fortunate um, to, to, to have people looking out for, for me as a young person. And um, uh, that's why I try to give back. So yes, to answer your question, yes, I do have a conducting studio. Um, I think that they do respond to the energy. I think if you ask any of the ensembles that I work with, could be New York Youth Symphony, you should ask your daughter, Emma, what is the, if they had to define uh, my style in one word, I think they would probably say energy. And absolutely. that's actually calculated. That's something. That's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she, she said from, that before, from yeah. 
day one, <laughs> year one energetic, with you, right? yeah. she was like, he is so positive, so energetic. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah. It well, was it means just, a lot to me because, because it's something that I, it's very calculated. Um, I know I am a very positive, energetic person just in general. I, it's not a front that I put on. It's, <laughs> it's, it's something that I, but, but I have found, and maybe it's just me. It may be what works for me doesn't work for somebody else, and that's totally fine. But I found for me, the thing that gets the orchestra to play the best, which is the goal, uh, is to be extremely energetic. And sometimes the energy is critical. Sometimes the right energy that you have to give is you have to be Absolutely. able to give critique. But you give it in a positive way, and you give it in a way that is clear that your goal is to make the best happen for the music, yeah. for the players to be able to play the best that they that they, you know, that they can do and not that you're being critical because you're mad at them for make, having made a mistake or blah, blah, blah. That's when things start to go downhill. Um, but yeah, energy, energy, energy. And I, I find that energy is what brings people in the door too. A lot of orchestras are wondering why, you know, the audiences are low and there's a million reasons, you know, for, for that. And it's not an easy problem to fix by any stretch. Um, but many places don't many you know performing arts organizations don't help themselves by not being super energetic <laughs> you know yeah. um yes, when it comes down yes. to it i'm not trying to be critical of anybody in particular look I'm not, like I'm you're not, having a good time you i'm know? not exactly i'm not trying to call anybody but we're, we, we 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 are very quick to forget that we're in the entertainment business right and as a conductor yeah um yes my job is musical yes my job is very very uh, technical and very difficult to learn and 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 there's there's a lot of but but also when you're on stage you need to be entertaining um why else would somebody spend 50 dollars to come see you um so i found energy works and i find um trying to educate works and something that i take yes. very seriously um is trying to communicate with people um uh very directly and very verbally um and i i really love connecting with audiences and explaining um uh, you know the music that we're doing, and not just during the concert. I, I was able to to start doing um, pre-concert talks. We're in Virginia now, mm -hmm. um, and we're in area, we're in an area of Virginia that that is one of the most beautiful areas in the country, and um, with wonderful people who live here. And um, one of the first things that that I was told when I came down here is that, you know, we have people who could be interested in this, but they're just not coming. And I said, well, have you attempted to explain what we're doing? So I started doing pre-concert talks, um, and what started with like maybe fifteen or twenty people coming to this pre-concert talks, now we'll get like three hundred and fifty. Hmm. And actually, wow. it's gotten frustrating because <laughs> because I mean it's great, yeah. but I like to also talk a little bit about the music during the concerts. But it's gotten to the point where ninety-six percent of people come there? <laughs> to the to the pre-concert, and I have nothing left to say, you know, during the concert. Um, but um, but I think that you know a, a conductor needs to be a very good communicator. Well, it connects it connects the community connects them the, to the music you use the magical word again connection which is the job and there's a million different types of connection that a conductor must do um but fundamentally it's about making those connections um when, when you're preparing like take me back to the technical side of it sure. okay how, how much time do you spend on a piece have, i mean 
That's not too big question. Have you done everything? I mean, are there pieces you get and you go, oh, I've never done that one before, oh, but sure. I want to try it. How, sure. how much time do you spend prepping? Yeah, really, ready? really good question. There's a couple of really good questions in there. Uh, the first thing I say is I've definitely not done everything. Um, and <laughs> you, can, figure, and but... you can conduct a, uh, a, a concert every day from now until you die and still not do everything. Um, and I'll get back to that later. Um, so you, you you never know everything because, because there's always more music and there's always more music being written. Um, so it, you have no hope to perform everything that's ever been written. Um, that's interesting. It's a very interesting. How long do you spend preparing? Uh, it depends on the piece. Um, it depends on you may have done it before. Um, you always prepare, though, and you cannot step up to an orchestra not knowing the piece for two reasons. One is that then you're failing at the job, and you're you're failing your mission to try to make the music as good as you possibly could. Second thing is that the orchestra will be able to tell immediately. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the music, the orchestra will know immediately. And then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. They're not going to trust you as a leader. Because why should they? They know the music better than you do. So why, you know, why would you do that? Um, preparing as a conductor is an interesting thing. Um, you develop, and every conductor is probably different. So what works for me may not work for other people. But I find that I have a technique, like a toolbox, and in the toolbox there are a lot of different, let's say, gestures that I have in my mechanism. I have two arms, I have my torso, I have my legs. I have the space that's available to me, and within that, I have things that I have learned how to do with this arm and that arm, my head, blah, blah, blah. And these are all the sort of things that are in the toolbox that I have to pull out. So when I'm learning a piece of music, it's about really no different, I think, than remodeling a bathroom in a sense that you've got this project, that project, blah, blah, blah. I need this tool. I need that tool, etc. And as you keep conducting, I think you get quicker and quicker and quicker at identifying what tools you're going to need and also at putting them together in the same way that, you know, if you've remodeled a million bathrooms, you probably know immediately what it's going to do and how long it's going to take. Um, so preparation as a conductor for me is a matter of looking at the score, learning it. You've got to know the parts. You've got to know your cues. You've got to know the layout. You've got to know the form. You've got to know all these things. You've got to know the history behind the music. You've got to know all these sorts of things. You need to know the context, all these sorts of things that need to be researched and learned. Um, and then short of that, it's okay, how am I going to conduct it? You look through for challenging sections. You look through for sections where you know that somebody's going to need a cue because it's difficult for them to hear when they come in, blah, blah, blah. Or you know that the, the horns are going to need particularly extra attention there because you've got six horns and they have to play together mm-hmm. and the rhythm is complicated, so you can't just ignore them. So I know that in that moment, maybe I don't need to pay attention to the cellos. They're going to be fine. Where I need to go is the horns or vice versa. And so as you're looking at the score, you know that and you need to know all of that before you get into the first rehearsal. Then, once you get into the first rehearsal, your music is learned. You may learn other things about the music as you go through the piece, but at that point, you know it, and it's a matter of getting the musicians to know it um, and, you know, to be able to, again, bring out the best that they have. So, you know, um, uh, and it also depends. If you've done a piece nine million times before, then you may not need to prepare so much. The last two weeks, um, I had a concert at uh, the Mid-Atlantic Symphony and then the Ashland Symphony. And I programmed on both concerts Robert Schumann's Third Symphony, which is a piece that I've done nine million times before. And I didn't really have to pull it out and remember. I mean, I pulled it out and reminded myself of several things, but I know it very well. I could do it from memory. So preparing for that concert may not be so severe as preparing a concert with a bunch of pieces that I've never, ever looked at before where you would need, you know, a lot of time. Um, also on that concert was Clara Schumann's Piano Concerto. Mm-hmm. And that's, an, again, another piece that I've done a ton. 
and know extremely well. And also the soloist who is playing with it, I've done that concerto with that soloist before. So not only do I know the concerto, <laughs> but I know all of the things that he wants to do with it and, and very That was an things. easy one then, and right? So, so yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And on Mid Atlantic we also did Beethoven Empire Piano Concerto. So 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 again, a piece that I've done a million times yeah. before. Um, this concert uh, we're doing a piece, a great, amazing piece by Adolphus Hale Stork, which I had not done before. Needed much more preparation on my on my on my end. Great piece, but I hadn't done it before, so I need more time. In New York, uh, we're doing a great piece by Gabriella Elena Frank called Escaramusa, which not only have I not done before, but it was only written a few years ago, and there's not a recording of it. So also oh, wow. is it's also a piece that I had to learn without any kind of reference. Um, are you going to make challenge. a recording? Say again? Are you going to make a recording We're of that? We're making a recording of it oh, in wow. November. That's yeah. incredible. That'll be the first recording of it. Yeah. The wow, first that's professional awesome. one anyway. Yeah. Professional one, wow. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have amazing. a video crew and everything. Do you spend a lot of time like, like looking at how other people conducted stuff and sure. taking things? Sure. I've learned so much about conducting from watching rehearsals. Mm. And I encourage my conducting students to come and watch rehearsals, mine and other people. And I tell them straight up, take what, what you like of what I do and find out what you don't like of what I do and don't do that. Or, you know, I'm sure that there are things that I do that are not good or maybe getting in the way. Maybe I don't realize it because I'm just doing it myself and I'm mm -hmm. getting by just fine. But you as an observer might notice that and be like, okay, well, I'm going to stay away from that. When you say, you know, the, how much time you're taking, is it, if it's a new piece, is it days, weeks, months, um, hours? Years? Like, yeah, decades. Well, it sort of depends, you know, because you could have a... It's a really good question. There's just so many variables. You know, how long is the piece? How complicated is the piece? Yeah. You know, yeah. There could be pieces that take several weeks okay. to really get a fun, a really good foundation, and there there could be pieces that take an hour. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's just so many variables. I think that it's just a matter of knowing um, what needs to happen. And and as you continue to conduct, like I said, I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, I can open a piece of music. And pretty much immediately tell how long this is going to take for me to learn it. Mm. Wow. Um, you know, within, you know. Yeah. Within a little bit, you know, give or take. And it's, okay, I, okay, this is going to, I need to make sure I budget time. I need to spend at least an hour a day on this piece for a couple of weeks before yeah. I feel like I really know it. Um, versus opening a piece. And, and that doesn't mean that one piece is better than another piece. It may just be that there are some pieces right. that are very very simple to get together and there are other pieces that may not be as simple to get right. together uh it's not a matter of quality it's just the way pieces are written so you you have students yep sure amateurs yep professionals yep H how difficult is it to go from a student performance one week to a professional to an amateur to and move sure. back and forth between those worlds you know i learned um and i don't know if this is something that i was taught or something that i just noticed and just it became a part of me i just treat everybody as if they're a professional hmm. the professionals respect it and then the amateurs respect it because they want to be treated professionally and the students really respect it <laughs> because the students are tired of getting treated like babies and being babied they don't want right. that treat them that way in a sense of expectations sure Sure. Well, Interaction. You, you, you I mean, meter your expectations. You know, yeah. you, 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 I as a conductor well, can only right, right. expect the best of what they can give. So that's the expectation. Gotcha. I expect right. the best of what anybody can give. Now, my expectation of myself is that I need to inspire them to do that. That if, if, if it's not coming out, it's probably my fault because I'm either not being energetic enough or inspirational enough or what, what have you. So then I have to do some introspection. It's not always just the musician's fault. But the way that you speak with musician should just be like you're talking to a person. And, you know, 
I think that you know, it's, it's imagine just, that. Imagine, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, you Treat know, him like a human being. Does it? Yeah. It's just you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. I'm sorry, that came out totally wrong. Yeah. You don't. No, no, change. no. It was yeah. very funny. We understand. Yeah, We've been around change, it long enough yeah. to see those interactions. Exactly. You don't change the way I don't. I personally don't change the way I speak to the New York Youth Symphony. Or to my professional orchestras, you yeah. know, in Ohio or Maryland or when I work with Baltimore Symphony or whatever. I'm going to do a sidebar here because you won't do it. For all you yeah. people listening, not every conductor is like that. No, the vast majority are yeah. not. Yeah. So that's why Lori and I are laughing. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a great thing. Sure. As we see our kids go from, you know, students, junior high, middle school teachers, all the way up through now doing some professional things and auditioning and things like that and being around that world. Yeah. It's great to see, as Lori mentioned, your positivity, number one, because people get so jaded in any industry. This is yeah. just one of them. Sure. Uh, and your energy and your hate. Let, let, let's have a community. Let's all do this together right. and let's inspire one another. Right. And you make it the best that you can be. And, and so, um, yeah, so I don't, I think if you ask them, I, I would say phrase the question to any student in the New York Youth Symphony. And I would say that they probably say that I treat them as if they were professional musicians. And so you have to ask yourself, why does the New York Youth Symphony sound so good? They play professionally because I think they're being treated like professionals. Um, and when I go and work with youth orchestras that are not quite as good, I do some work with, um, for example, with uh, all county orchestras or various other things. These are talented orchestras, talented mm -hmm. kids that are not quite at the level of New York Youth Symphony, but they may be used to being treated kind of like children mm -hmm. in their experience. And so when, when, when they get this opportunity to really take true ownership over, you know, um, what they're doing well, they, they rise to the occasion and they, and they appreciate it. Um, That's inspiring in and of itself. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and again, what works for me may not work for other people, but it's just my philosophy. And I <laughs> look, it would be really hard if I had to be three people, if I had to be one person for a professional orchestra, another person for a children's right. orchestra, another person. So I just be myself and you just make it all about the music and you just go, just go, 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 go. And people respond to that. I think, um, so this is an interesting question too. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm fascinated by this conductor world, sure. right? In the business world, oh, I get this job. This is my next step. This is my next step. Then I'll be a VP. Then I'll be a whatever. In the sports world, I do here, here. I go D1. Then I get yeah. conductors. Like, how, yeah. do, you, do you get to chart whatever you want? How, yeah. what, what are the steps? There's no, there's no, there's no steps. Um, and, and the reality is there are so many people who want to conduct and only so many orchestras. And so there's not a progression. There's not, there's not, a, I mentioned Gustav Meyer earlier, who's yeah. you know, regarded as one of the, I think, regarded as certainly one of the best pedagogues of conducting ever, if not the greatest conducting pedagogue ever, and also a remarkably good conductor, very, very good conductor, who never conducted, you know, he never was on the circle of right. touring conductors who, who, who have gigantic PRs and, and, um, and, and are conducting all the, you know, big, huge, gigantic orchestras. Right. Never made it that way. There is not a... There is not a... Uh, uh, what's it called? A, a correlation, necessarily, between your ability and your success in the traditional traditional sense just not to say that the people who are conducting at the top are not good conductors that's not what i'm sure. saying what i'm saying is that just because you are extremely good does not necessarily mean that you will make it there um and that's because there are so many variables one of the chief one being that there's only so many jobs to go around uh um and also you know again being in the right place at the right time who you know how privileged you are. Um, there's still tremendous problems with privilege in our field. Um, and people who are privileged um, uh, have more opportunities. And so that's something that our field is grappling with at, at the moment, of course. Um, yeah. And, and all these things. So, 
Sorry, that's my my watch <laughs> just talked. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, your watch to wants to. My watch, yeah. Sorry, li- hey, it it popped in on privilege, privilege right? Yes, it, it, pri- yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Apple is interested yes, in exactly. that too. Yes, that's, uh, that's how, exactly how do you reason. how do you fix that? Because it is a meritocracy, right? Yeah. You got to well, be good. You got to be trained. Yes. But a lot of the training, like what we found too, there's a lot of socioeconomic uh, socioeconomic issues where oh, yeah. you know a kid a kid gets inspired at a concert because everybody does outreach, right? You do an outreach sure. to a elementary school and the kid comes home and tells his mom and dad i want to do a violin yeah. practice and violin and they look they at the price and they go yeah. you're insane yeah. dude yeah yeah you can't kind of yeah no uh we have major 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 problems with that um in our field and it is not an easy problem to fix um at all and you know you ask what you know people ask well, what are you doing in peru and i'm like well i'm just doing anything that i can to try to the program in peru is designed to give a community and an opportunity to study music to kids who couldn't afford it otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's essentially what it is. We're trying to build community, trying to improve the lives of kids who, you know, can't necessarily afford, you know, $100 a week right. for, for private lessons as they do here and whatnot. Um, I think that, you know, I, I'm not a savior by any stretch. I'm not trying to be a savior. I'm not doing this. But I think that it's just incumbent on everybody to do what they can to do that. And uh, so, you know, I don't pretend to have the answers, um, but we do have a significant problem. And recognizing that we do have a significant problem is the first of what is sure to be nine million steps that need to be taken to generate more equity um, in our field. Because um, there in our field, there are unbelievable barriers um, in in uh, in 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 socioeconomic socioeconomic status in race and in gender. And that's particularly true in conducting particularly true in conducting. The conducting field is overwhelmingly dominated by white men. Overwhelmingly dominated by white men. Yeah. And it's so heartwarming to see that changing. Slowly, but changing. Um, and uh, that's great. It's really great to see. Uh, there needs to be more progress, without question. But the field has clearly recognized, or not. I shouldn't say the field, because there are many people who are still you know, quite in the past <laughs> on this. So it's not everybody. And sure. Everybody needs to be brought around. But I would say that that a reasonable di- uh, reasonable um, uh, uh, examination, I think, really would show that as time goes on, more and more people recognize that there is problems. There is problem in this area, and as more people recognize the problem, more solutions will be created. There are well, unbelievable programs that exist, particularly for women conductors. Marin started um, a, a fellowship called the Taki Alsup uh, Conducting Fellowship. And it's a program that is designed specifically for women who want to conduct. Um, and uh, they started, you know, uh, uh, earnestly, you know, with a small program. And now they mentor dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of programs. They have the connections to get the conductors in with um, with uh, with the major orchestras to get opportunities and mentorship agents and managers and all kinds of things. And so there are unbelievable programs that exist that are designed to try to build more equity. Um and it'll be a long time, you know, before we see a truly equitable field, which is a shame. But I have faith that the good work that's being done by a lot of people um, is going to bring it there. Yeah, I think that's important what you said about uh, the work that people are doing, mm-hmm. because it, the people you've talked about, they've taken a personal interest and investment. They're good people trying to help the next person, the yeah. next generation. And not it's just not, talking about it. They're, not they're just talking about it. Something. And that's what, yeah. I mean, yeah, there are many about. people, there are many people yeah. who are really, who are really putting in the word. There need to be more people who are putting in the right. word without, without yeah. question. Um, and we do need to be calling out the people who aren't or who are actively standing <laughs> in the way. Um, you know, uh, I cannot tell you how, 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 um, how much it boils my blood. Um, 
you know, <laughs> when I see somebody say, and they still exist today, that they don't think women can conduct, or they think that women on the podium are a distraction because the men in the orchestra are going to be spending too much time looking. I mean, it just it <laughs> they say me, that really. Makes, oh, of course, it, <laughs> of course, there are still in 2022. There are still people, and not a small number of people oh, who say these things. That's crazy. Um, and it just it totally it boils my blood. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh and so, and that's just the gender. Uh, sure. uh, 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 dispute, and then there's the whole there's a whole other uh, problems with regards to race equity in our in our field without without question. Um, but as you said, there is work that's being done, um, and that's so heartwarming to see. And 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 I try just personally, you know, we can only do what we can do. Yeah. Um, and I try to do what I can to. But you're doing to, it. Well, like I appreciate the investing that. in I, people and. I, I appreciate that. And, your and I found that again, it's all about trying to generate opportunities for young people. I take great pride in the work I do with professionals, and I, I want to be working with professionals. I always will work with, with professionals and adults and building yeah. organizations and doing all these various things. But no matter what I'm doing, I'll always work with kids because it's, you know, one of the most inspiring things. You know, you think about Leonard Bernstein's Young People's Concerts. Used to be on NBC. Yes. Used to be nationally yeah. televised, these things. You see these concerts wow, with this I didn't realize energetic that. conductor on stage and an orchestra and a Carnegie Hall with thousands of young kids transfixed by music right and that can happen again we can do that again. you gotta bring make, that back mike we can ha- we can make that happen you got more like, channels than be... just nbc too so yeah. we can yes make... <laughs> yeah. yes exactly so it you know we got to get back to that we got to. Yes. How, how can we make you know and, and he would get up there and he'd play beethoven then he would play the beatles and he would show you would show that the the dna of this of 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 the music that we're used to listening to particularly in western music you know, right. um, uh, you know, showing how you can relate to these things, yeah. trying to, you know, show how people can can understand it. And um, again, it's coming back to what is conducting. It's about trying to connect people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we got to call it quits here in a minute because you yeah. got you got to you got some yeah, stuff to do tonight. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, I, the, the terms keep ringing to me. You know, you think globally and act locally. Yeah. And, and you're going yes. to all yeah. these different places and you're bringing this energy and this positivity and this desire and passion, not only for music, but for for to introduce music to everybody who wants to be a part, and yeah. if they're willing to put in the work, you're willing to help them out. Right. I think I think that's great. What are I mean, crystal ball? What's the future? You said you what? Thirty oh, yeah, two. You've been at it twenty years. Turned, time to retire. Yeah, is it retirement right. time? Or? Well, no. the best part about conducting, <laughs> I think, is that you. I think if you're doing it right, then you sort of peak when you die. You can always, you can always. Best concert, you just boom. Well, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah. So, drop the baton. But like conducting is, you're always learning, right? You're always, you can always learn more about music. There's, there's never, there's, it's, it's not, it's infinite knowledge. It's, there's so many things that you can learn and you can consistently get better. And I think every time you conduct, you get better. And I think that, that we may be unique amongst performing musicians in that. In that, um, and I don't want to speak for anybody, but 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 for example, you you get to be quite old, um, and it may be difficult. It might start to be difficult to handle the things on the piano right. that you may have handled very well when you were forty or fifty, or same thing on the violin or whatnot. And conducting sure, is the yeah. same thing too. Some of the things that you do with your arms or your body, of course, when you're ninety, may not work the same way as when you were thirty or forty or fifty. I totally get that. But again, conducting fundamentally is about leading. And about connecting and a 90 year old can lead and they can command respect they may need to learn a different way of doing it but they you can do that and so one of the most special things about conducting is that and that's why you see conductors a lot of times never retire 
Right. Um, and and it, may, it may be that they don't retire until they're finally forced to for physical reasons or, or whatever else. But right, it's right. Because you can do the job. You did say 90, so you're at least planning to hit 90. That's right. Look, they yeah, say another the first 60 human years to live to 150 is already alive. Right, right. So, right? You know, hey, you know, it could be me. No, I drink way too much Diet Coke for that. <laughs> I think that's going to get me, you know, uh, sooner than that. that Look, that's you know, a good I just one. try to li- just try to live in the moment. You know, I just try to live in the moment. <laughs> and again, you know, I don't. I I think I mentioned this to you yesterday. You know. Um, uh, because there's no path. I have, of course, dreams. I want to be conducting the best orchestras in the world and doing all these things. And of course, that's my dream. I would love to be doing that. And um, but I think that that on my deathbed, whether it's in 10 years or 50 years, whatever it is, if you came to me and you asked me, was your career a success? The meter for how to measure that would not be it would not be divided into you know the the the, the prestige of what orchestras that you worked with. Because yeah. that is. Not entirely out of your control, but it is mostly out of your control, whether you're actually able to attain that. Um, there's so many things that are really out of your control that it's not complete. So I don't judge my success based on that. I will judge my success based on, was I able to connect people in the places that I was? Did I use the opportunities that I have, the concerts that I have, the, the, um, the, the communities that I have, the fortune of working with, no matter where they are, to connect people? Um, if I was successful in that, then the career was a success. Um, uh, and if that's at the Berlin Philharmonic, it was at the LA Philharmonic, so the Pacific Symphony, fantastic. Then that's awesome. And that's, of course, a dream and all that. Um, but if I never get there, so long as I'm making use of the opportunities that I have, I'll be a happy person. Um, and uh, there might be some disappointment if I get to the end of my career and I don't I don't make it to the Berlin Phil, I don't make it to the LA Phil, whatever. Sure. Um, but... So far, you know, I found that, look, I'm, I'm 32. I'm very fortunate. I have five ensembles as music director. I'm a guest conductor here <laughs> and there. I travel. I do all kinds of things. And look, I found that success has come to me so far um, a lot because of privilege. There's no question. But also in the opportunities that I, that I have, I just try to show up, be prepared, be a nice person. Um, and then just do the job and then you get hired to do other jobs you know what i mean it's and and just like anything it's not rocket science show up be prepared be a nice person get a good result and okay you people will want to work with you um That's i think perfect people, yeah yeah you know and and you know so much is out of your control in music uh, i think you just try to have a good time and People will relate to that. And I, I, this concert tonight, I think you're going to be very excited. Of course, your daughter's playing, so that's 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 very exciting. Yes. Um, but you're going to see there's an energy here, the Northern Egg Orchestra, that um, that that many arts organizations would be very jealous about. Um, people come yes. into these concerts kind of buzzing, um, and it's thrilling uh, to see it. Um, the community just goes wild for these concerts, and and the only other place that I've seen anything remotely like it is like the proms. People just go crazy. And that, by the way, is what I think classical concerts should be. I look at the proms yes. and people going absolutely crazy for classical music concerts and the energy and the excitement and all these things, and I'm like, let's get more of that. In yes. There. You know, if you want, if you want a, if you want a, a perfect performance crystal clear performance no errors silent exquisite manufactured perfect performance of any piece go put on bose headphones and go listen to something that's been recorded that's what that's for and that's great but the live performance experience is about the live performance experience which is an experience that we're selling totally 
So you got to develop that kind of energy and that excitement. So Yeah. Wow. Hopefully that's, we succeed. That's yeah. great. Hey, yeah. thanks for the time. We'll let hey, you thank go. You. I will yeah. I will change one thing you said. It's not a death bed, it's a death podium. There you right? go. Death podium. Yes, it's exactly. a, it's, it's on your, on your death yeah. podium, yeah. Right. right? Or do you end with <laughs> peak when you die? Yeah, peak when you die. That's exactly right. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. You, your last yeah. note of your favorite yeah, thing right. and then you drop the that's thing, you right. turn around, you bow and you just kind of Top Thank you very much. Over. Yeah, hey, that's a look, pretty good you know life. What? Huh? If I died on the podium, that would be fine. But give me another fifty years. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we'll go yeah. sixty. Another sixty. 60, 60, years. 60. Fifty at least. Yeah. Hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Thank We're excited for tonight. Thanks. Thanks, thanks yeah. for being on. Of thanks course. for listening to the podcast. How do people? How do people learn more about sure. you? Well, you can go to my website. Wanna... Uh, it's very easy. Mike Repper. That's M I K E. Repper, R-E-P-P-E-R, it's like pepper with an R, uh, <laughs> dot com, and you can find any information uh, you know that you might want there. I'm, of course, I'm also on social media, and anybody can follow me on any of the accounts, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, but you can go to my website to learn more, MikeRepper.com. Hey, thanks, Mike. Keep it up, man. We're, we're so big fans. Keep it up. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time.